0: Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and men's basketball beat writer. That's new. We're not talking about basketball today, but that's what's going to happen this fall. And I am joined by our women's basketball beat writer and publisher, Adam Jacoby. Talking a little football today after that. 20-14 20-14 to 14 victory over Purdue yesterday for the Hawkeyes. Tons of stuff happening in that game. Adam, you wrote about Deacon. I wrote about the defensive line. Those were really the two big things that stuck out to us, but so many more headlines from that game as well.
1: Yeah, I thought this was a very interesting game to watch for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, one, that's not often that you see a quarterback go 6-for-21 in his first start And still not only win the game, but the scoreboard was deceptively close. Iowa was never in a whole lot of danger to lose that game. Even when Purdue had the ball back late in the fourth quarter, it was just, it wouldn't have fit what we saw on that field. But yeah, that was, I mean, you're talking about the defensive line finally breaking out. You're talking about uh, Deacon Hill getting his start under his belt. We're talking about Caleb Johnson coming back and an Iowa rushing attack that if it weren't for a snap over Deacon Hill's head would have had over 200 yards rushing. So I thought there was a lot of encouraging things about the Purdue game, and I thought there were a lot of problems with it, too. So high highs, low lows, and didn't see a whole lot in between. Did you?
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Um... <laughs> that is a really good question I think There was, yeah I, I think that's a pretty pretty good way to put it The only thing that comes to mind Right off the top of my head That was kind of Well, it was a first down And it was a pass that was caught But it was the, the pass to Caleb Johnson For the 13-yard gain um, on, on that rollout I think it was a play-action pass And Caleb mm-hmm. snuck out And caught it for a 13-yard gain I would that was a positive. I would probably throw it more in the high highs than than and I'm like a mid kind of thing, but there really wasn't a whole lot of things that weren't that a normal football game would entail. How's that?
1: <laughs> right. Right, not not a whole lot of drives only going 30 40 yards. It was either right. it was boom a lot of boomer bust in on both sides of the field, right? Yeah, and definitely. Teams. Uh yeah. So it's in my recap uh, that I posted, I noted a few uh, plays that were, Luke has a negative connotation, but they were unusual plays, and a whole lot of them went in Purdue's favor this week, to the point where it would not have been difficult, and Inference and even said after the game that he thought Iowa left a lot of points on the board, he, he mentioned 10 points, I think that's conservative. Uh, this really could have been a about a 30-plus point win for Iowa. Now, it's the analysis of if you take out all the good plays for Purdue, then Iowa would have won by more. Yeah, no kidding. But so much of what Purdue's big plays were made of was like a, a – you know, scramble in a a throw on the run or a ball getting tipped or bouncing off of somebody's helmet. Like Purdue got a lot of the luck plays on Saturday. And again, and I don't mean that in a negative way or that they wouldn't have earned a win because ultimately there's just one win and one loss to be handed out. And football, you know, the ball bounces in a pretty famously unexpected way every day. So it is encouraging, I think, that Iowa played a team like Purdue Big 10 West opponent has given Iowa a lot of fits in the past. Purdue got a lot of the luck plays, a lot of those swing plays, and Iowa still won the game. That's encouraging because that is something that's a little bit more sustainable, a little less dependent on that luck than I think that we've seen from this team earlier this season.
0: Do you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The luck plays and their starting quarterback went 6 of 21. And additionally had a QBR of one or a passer rating of one at one point in time, literally one, I think it was 0.9 at one point after an incompletion. Yeah, that was brutal, brutal, brutal. And when you have a quarterback that only completes six passes and so many of them, like there were drops, obviously I know Eric all had one in his bread basket. That one that bounced off Seth Anderson's face mask. That's a fluke play right there. That's a luck play for, for Purdue for sure. And then there are just some throws that were just not within catching range of anybody, offense, defense, anybody that was on the field. And some of those moments, you're lucky they don't have a their, their safety isn't, you know, deep on the back end, preventing the big plays, because that ends up in his hands, at least one of those plays where it's completely overthrown, completely out of range of the receiver.
1: Yeah, that was, it was concerning. And it's it's something that was awfully reminiscent of uh, Ricky Vaughn in the movie Major League. Uh, before yeah, that's a bit outside. <laughs> and so he, he's just spraying his fastball everywhere. And I'm not saying that Deacon Hill's eye vision is or isn't perfect. Presumably it's good. But, but it was that same sort of situation like we're not entirely sure where this ball is going to go. And it's interesting that he know, or that he mentioned after the game that there were nerves, jitters, etc., happening to him. And I say it's interesting because Eric All didn't see it; told us he didn't see it. So maybe that's just a little bit on the interior. Uh, Deacon didn't use it as an excuse. He said that he's got to own it, and he owns it. And I, I don't think we're going to see that happen. Again. At the same time, we were sort of told the same thing about Jamari Harris when he came back from his gambling suspension, and of course, the year that he spent injured. And he hasn't given up as many big plays, but that level of play still needs to keep climbing up, especially with Deshaun Lee not available with injury. And we're going to find more out about that on Tuesday. But it's one thing to get the jitters out of the way to knock the rust off, so to speak. but then you got to take that next step to am I contributing? am I competing? am I winning my battles on a you know every play basis? And Harris isn't quite there yet and obviously Deacon Hill isn't quite there yet and it's the coaches jobs to get them back to that point sooner rather than later.
0: Two things on Deacon there. If there is a game where there's those jitters are going to continue, it's going to oh. be in Madison, Wisconsin.
1: Oh, yeah. That's...
0: Not only is he a Badger transfer, but, I mean, jump around. It's crazy in Camp Randall on game days. Um, having lived in Madison, Wisconsin previously, I was there during the pandemic, so maybe take it with a grain of salt. But you could tell. Like, that is a Badger city through and through. It's a Badger state through and through, obviously. And throw in the fact that he was there previously, he felt like he was kind of, I don't know, I've heard this sporadically from other podcasts where he was initially brought in um, and felt like he didn't get the opportunity at Wisconsin. So, I mean, maybe to a degree, he felt like he was disrespected. I mean, he would never say that himself, right? That's not the type of person that Deacon is. Um, But that's, you know, from the periphery around him. So there's those two factors there. And third thing on that is when you have a young backup quarterback in the game, what you need to do is create easy completions for him. That 13-yard gain for Caleb Johnson was exactly what I wanted to see on the first drive. We saw it on the second drive, but the first drive, I can't remember exactly how it transpired but I know that there were two passes I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure they went three and out I could be wrong they, but they did yeah did they okay yep. um I should have gone back and looked to to be more precise but I'm pretty sure there were two passes and both of them were 15 20 plus yards on the first drive on your quarterback's first start of his college career having not played a competitive snap well I guess he did a week prior right the week prior but hadn't yeah. played uh, hadn't started since 2020 what the hell was that and now now as a as uh, to take it again with a grain of salt like a caveat here for for brian is that i don't know that deacon knows how to throw a short pass without trying to throw it through his receiver (laughs) so it's just such a such a difficult circumstance to try to get Deacon comfortable. That's, that's what it is. That's what you want to do on the first drive on those first few drives is get your quarterback comfortable and confident. And he knows where the ball's going and it's scripted. And that's the thing about Brian too, is through those first few games, the first drive was awesome because it was scripted. And now when you really need to script it for your backup quarterback in his first start, (laughs) that's what you do. What,
1: what are we doing? What are they doing? Yeah, that's, it's tough because you want to play to your quarterback strengths and a guy like Deacon Hill with that kind of a fastball, that kind of an arm. Uh, I think it was that first drive where he tried to go deep to.
0: I think it was Deontay. Deontay. Deontay Bynes. Yeah.
1: And standing on about his 25 yard line, Deontay's running that fly route deep to the left. He'll chucks it and throws it about 10 yards over Vines's head. And we we did a little bit of quick paper math, and the ball went about 63, 64 yards in the air, which one is 10 yards lower than Deacon's self-rest. Yes. Yeah. Right. PR. <laughs> <laughs> and two, sort of underscores the fact that there isn't a great amount of chemistry between Hill and Vines yet. And to their credit, you know, they've been going and and throwing after practice and and trying to work on that sort of stuff. But it's one thing to run those routes after practice. And it's another one to run them against, you know, the Purdue Boilermaker secondary, which is fairly capable, right? it's, It's not Iowa's, but it's also not Michigan State's. Purdue does know a thing or two about defense and it's also difficult because not only are you I mean every pass play is going to have a primary receiver but these pass plays have progressions and checkdowns for a reason so it might be the case that some of those throws that uh, Deacon was throwing early were because Purdue was overloading on trying to you know, take away those short, easy, like get him into a rhythm passes. We don't know for sure because uh, you know, I haven't looked at the tape and and we're not in that discussion with the Purdue defensive coordinators, but there's, there's a lot of ways that defenses can, you know, take a young QB out of his rhythm and, you know, do the whole like take what the defense gives you. Well, when the defense gives you something impossible, can you make it possible? And that's, you know, that, that's asking a lot out of Deacon. So all that is to say, I don't think Deacon was in a position to succeed in the first half. Uh, we started to see, you know, after he started one for 10, he finished five for 11. And so, some of those passes in the second half or after that awful start were more catchable and just weren't caught for a lot of reasons. So we saw him calm down. That, that throw to all for the touchdown that ended up being the game-winning score. The that was were not good no, uh, it, no. <laughs> but you, you saw it and and if you look at the replay i mean his his footwork is is uh, but it was a dime it it had the exact velocity that it needed to get dropped right in his bread basket and uh, he did have to reach back just a touch for it but compared to where those passes were going earlier in the game that was exactly where he needed to put it and and you know, all made that catch, and and it wasn't placed bad enough that the defender could catch up. Right, that was exactly what Iowa needed, and essentially won the game. So, how does Iowa get to more of those passes and less of the ones that are just sailing past his receivers or backs? You know, that's that's going to be Brian Ferentz's job.
0: That's well, that's what I think is is to get him those confidence throws because he didn't have to wing it at Caleb when he had that 13 yard gain, Caleb Johnson. That's what to to get that feel early in the game, and when there are defenders out there, and he's on a he's he's on a rollout. He's it was naked, and um, that throw to Eric All that was the touchdown was the only throw, virtually the only throw with some touch on it that I saw yesterday. Other than that, he is just winging them, dude. Like it is, it's it's one thing to say to receivers to catch the ball with their division one scholarship receivers, catch the damn ball. Obviously. Yeah. It's another thing. Right. To catch a ball when it's not only zipped like that on a rope, but behind you Mm -hmm. and up in the air. And uh, like Seth Anderson should have caught that ball. I think we can agree on that. That hit his face mask. Um, Other than that, I, I, there was that Eric all drop. Eric all will probably tell you himself. He should have caught that ball. Mm -hmm. If you remember, right. It was a, it was a, uh, not a post what's the opposite of a post um
1: corner flag a,
0: yeah like a corner route yeah. um in the middle of the field dropped it in his bread basket and he there. didn't catch it yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think that was the drive that ended up resulting in a touchdown i think it was the end of the first quarter going into the second i don't know or a field goal or something but um i need i clearly need to re-watch the film but uh There are still opportunities that need to be capitalized on where guys either aren't catching the ball or you get a Cooper DeGene damn near pick six where you get the ball inside the five and you run shotgun with a 200-pound, 260-pound quarterback. You could have done three straight sneaks and got it in there, but it resulted in a field goal. It's missed opportunities. You said it, 10 points off the board. There are two missed field goals as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Field goals that should have resulted in touchdowns. Those drives should have resulted in touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And then there's the uh, the issue of throwing a ball with, with touch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it makes sense. Like when, when you look at it sort of like that, okay, there was an opportunity missed. There was an opportunity missed. You start to see why these coaches are talking about, you know, we we identify some things that we need to clean up. And you you start to understand that from their perspective, this team is this close to putting together a real butt kicking and one that sort of puts the rest of the Big Ten on notice. And it's also sort of frustrating when it hasn't happened yet to, and and here we are at the halfway point of the season. So, you know, are, are, are you looking at it as a, well, I, this is my question to you, are you, now that we're at this halfway point, And Iowa has had six games, five and one. But, you know, how many of them were really impressive, especially against Big Ten or uh, Power Five foes? Yeah, right. (laughs) But you also sort of see how they think that they're close. So my question is, do you think that they're going to take that step into the second half? Or do you, when you watch this team, are you just seeing a quick lane bowl Meineke Car Care, Little Caesars Bowl, sort of squad.
0: That's yeah, that's the question. I heard somebody say. I mean, I could see this team go eleven and one. I could see this team go seven and five, or yeah. eight and four the rest of the way. I think eight and four is is somewhere where we're going to be a little bit more realistic. But I, I just opened up the schedule to be able to answer your question a little bit better. Wisconsin this week. I I'm thinking that's a loss. We'll we'll talk more about that uh, this this coming Wednesday. Hopefully, we'll get John McNamara on from uh, from uh, Badger Blitz, our, our Wisconsin rival site. Minnesota's bad; that should be a win at home. Northwestern's bad; that should be a win on the road at Wrigley Field. That'll be cool. Rutgers is Rutgers. Uh, their quarterback hit a guy in the nads yesterday on a uh, on an accident. Illinois is terrible. Nebraska isn't good. This team should—I mean, like—if Cade's with this team, I say ten and two, if not eleven and one, you sneak out a win at Wisconsin. We've got to factor in all the injuries because that's just where 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 the Hawkeyes are at at this point in time. But I could also see—I could see them just absolutely clobbering Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, or Nebraska, or a yeah. couple of them. Yeah, I could also see them dropping one or two of those games. I, I it's so difficult to tell because how much do you take Deacon Hill at his word? And, and this is not a reflection of Deacon as a person. I, I don't think I've said it on the podcast. I like Deacon a lot. I, in the, in the few interactions that I've had with him, I like him a lot. He's an upbeat dude, super. He, he's willing to go in depth on questions and, and he's, he's a really good dude.
1: Also a, a big fan of the word ginormous.
0: Yes, that is
1: true. <laughs> he is, twice from him
0: now. That is funny. Uh, that's true. But how much do you take him at his word, considering the small sample size we've seen of him at quarterback? Is it just jitters where he does put things together? Or is this something that we're going to see on a regular basis, where he just has trouble putting the ball where it needs to go?
1: I think what it comes down to, and, and what a lot of the uncertainty about the rest of the uh, season and the rest of the Big Ten West comes from is none of these teams are good enough to be predictable. Wisconsin might be. Iowa's close. Northwestern is predictably bad at this point. Illinois is
0: predictably bad right now too.
1: I'm. I'm well, I well, I didn't predict this coming from Illinois. I thought. They okay. Touche. All right. <laughs> yeah, all right. But enough. but no. But I I do agree with you that now it's 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 starting now. to get to the point where it's like well we know they're going to stink this week. So that is that's that level of predictably bad, although, you know, it is still Burt Bielema and he does know a thing or two about coaching in the Big Ten West. I am I'm really genuinely shocked at how bad they are, though. Ultimately, it's just going to turn into a series of slap fests and a series of, you know, who gets luckier, who gets the ball to bounce their way. And trying to weave some sort of narrative out of this, I think it's going to be a little bit of a fool's game because it's the the term signal to noise ratio. When there's teams, there's so many teams that have trouble executing on a play-by-play basis, it all turns into noise. And someone's got to win. Someone's got to lose. And I think Iowa, like you said, is going to have some... Pretty convincing wins coming just because of the schedule. And there's going to be some opportunities to win more games and a lot of opportunities to lose them. And this was a game, tying this one back to yesterday. Boy, this was a game that Iowa finally started to win these plays and win these, you know, have a a, bring that success rate back up. Still only won by six, still had to make that defensive stop at the end of the game. What happens if Purdue is executing at a Wisconsin level, executing even at a Minnesota level? You know, that would have been a situation where Iowa maybe gets a loss on a game that they had controlled for the most part. And some of it's a little bit of a credit to Kirk Ferentz because we're now at the point where since 2015, he's now, what, 66-2 and when Iowa even has an eight-point lead? Like, we're not talking about a 20-point lead. This is just go up by two scores or, you know, like a touchdown in a uh, two-pointer, which I consider two scores. Nobody else does. But you go up that big and you just squeeze them out like a python and fans, understandably, don't find it the most exciting brand of football, but it just keeps working until it doesn't. and you know they're 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 one win away from bowl eligibility again they are still controlling their own destiny in the Big 10 West again and you know when you're coaching at a school like Iowa you sort of have to find your own way to win and just keep doing it until everybody else can stop you but it is sort of dependent also on not playing teams that have that's super high level of talent. And the nice thing for Iowa is nobody in the Big Ten West has that.
0: And uh, we'll find out how it works next year. Yeah. Yeah. Staying on the topic of the Purdue game and going into this coming week, though, there are a couple more things I want to hit on regarding the Iowa offense. First one is what you noticed when we were in the press box yesterday is the Mason Richmond eligible screen pass? Not only was it batted down, it was not only was it run when they were on their own five, I think, something like that was a second in goal, I think.
1: Yeah, they, they were on the Purdue five, not their own. Yeah, oh, but, sorry, yes, yeah.
0: sorry, sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Purdue five and ran their left tackle who was questionable going into the game. Has knee braces on. We're not sure if he can catch the ball. And, the, like, throw in everything the Iowa offense has done. The lack of, um, I don't know if lack of, but the the scheme being so ineffective. And then you dive so deep down into your offensive playbook that you're running a screen pass for your left tackle. I think there's been one wide receiver screen all year that I can recall off the top of my head to Deontay Vines. Wasn't even intended for Caleb Brown. But you run a screen pass for your left tackle when the run game is working pretty damn well, and you got a 260-pound quarterback under center. (laughs) I can't help but laugh.
1: (laughs) What you you, you gotta give Brian Farrens this. Nobody saw it coming. (laughs) And for a reason, right? Like, it, it, it's it, it's sort of like wanting credit for driving your car off an overpass. I mean, like, well, nobody saw it coming. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's why, right? It's uh. I, I'm sure it's a play that they had practiced at some point, right? But also, he was not only questionable. Kirk Ferentz didn't think Mason Richmond was going to play. 24 hours before that game. And it really came down to is he able to warm up and him really wanting to, as as I think we heard, play for his quarterback in his first start as a Hawkeye. And that is admirable to say the least. How much time did we spend? Probably 15 minutes trying to figure out who was gonna go if Richmond couldn't. And luckily, we didn't have to find that out. Luckily for Iowa, we didn't have to find that out, but also maybe don't run a play where that guy has to run the ball into the end zone it's it's asking too much of a guy who is really got a lot on his plate with a with a what we're told is a painful leg injury so
0: there's breaking tendency and then there's that
1: yeah it's that it was it was a stunt and and if it worked it would have been i mean everybody would have noticed but it's 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 another one of those things where there's a reason why people don't do this, and uh, it didn't make sense at the time. Didn't really make sense in a, but also you know I haven't looked at the game either. It could be the case that it was wide open in front of Mason if the ball just gets over that massive humanity because there was a lot of people in between Hill and Richmond, right? A lot of people, <laughs> so they were clearly biting on something for a reason because of iowa's slavish tendencies but boy there's there's got to be a better way when you've got like you said a 260 pound quarterback you've got a run game that's been averaging about seven eight yards of pop at that point i think it was 10 at that point at, 10 yards a carry like, yeah and and some of that is caleb you know going for 67. But even if you take that out, which again, yes, if you take out the big plays, the numbers go down. Yes. But even then I was per yard rush average and their success rate was good enough that like, you don't need to get cute there. You just don't. And it was disappointing. And it it sort of felt like the offensive coordinator taking that position to succeed away from the offense. And I think that's going to have to be cleaned up a bit. I'm not saying never run any trick plays or anything like that, but pick better than that, you know.
0: And like, if you're successful at a reasonable rate, you get that leeway of mm-hmm. doing that type of play in that moment in time. But if you're the 131st ranked offense in the country, just run a regular damn play. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, yeah. It's that's another sort of thing where in in a vacuum. Maybe the play call makes sense. But there are some offensive coordinators that have that benefit of the doubt. And there are some that are employed in Iowa City. And, you know, it's it's sort of one of those things where just take care of the basics first, and then those trick plays will open themselves up organically. Uh, so I, I I think when they look back at this, the coaches will probably sort of think the same thing.
0: Last thing I'll say about the offensive performance yesterday is, well, I'll make a reference to a quote that Kirk Ferentz said in the postgame that I think everybody noticed. That's up on our YouTube and our Instagram page that I believe you quoted in your postgame article about Deacon. To reiterate those statistics, he can hill go six of 21 for 110 yards, one touchdown, one interception, at one point, passer rating of a one. One. He was asked by our friend John Steppy from the Cedar Rapids Gazette, does incredible work, always willing to ask questions that nobody else wants to. <laughs> and he said, Was there any thought to go to Joe? Joe Labus, who won, who helped lead the Hawkeyes. To the win in their bowl game last year against Kentucky. Kurt goes Joe Labus? No, no. Deacon's our quarterback. That would be silly, quote unquote silly, because Deacon is their quarterback. Well, your quarterback went six of twenty-one, and right. you know, I, I, to a degree, what I see there is you have to let Deacon have time to get comfortable, correct? He got comfortable in the second half, 5 of 11, finished, had that touchdown pass, et cetera. So I understand the thinking behind that to a degree. Would I have said publicly that it was a silly idea? No. What do you think, Adam? I'll leave it at that. What do you
1: think? It was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I, I it it sort of felt like kicking the hornet's nest as as far as Iowa fan sentiment goes and unnecessarily so, right? Um there were a lot of people, especially in, in the press box or including in the press box, who thought it was a situation where it might make sense to try Labus. I get that from Kirk's perspective. Iowa never trailed in the game. You can say that that one interception was not really Deacon's fault. You can also say that he should have thrown an interception in the end zone to Vines when LeSean Williams was wide open coming out of the flat. you remember that play? And that was another play where it really should have been seven points, ended up being three, and they're lucky that it wasn't zero. But the dismissive nature the the incredulity of ference at that question being asked when like you said quarterback started one for ten did you know get it back up to a a d1 level of production we'll put it that way by the end of it it was you know it, it it demonstrated a basic level of competence at quarterback it like not not being good but knowing what you're doing, and also the the receivers stopped started to do a few more favors in the second half too. But receiver Eric All, yes, sorry. <laughs> yes. yeah, you're good. The, the, the one receiver started to do him a few more favors, and you know Eric, like you've mentioned earlier today, did have a couple plays that he probably wants back too. So. I get that on somebody's first college start first year in the program that yanking him after two quarters and putting in his backup the guy that he had you know practiced ahead of the entire season probably feels a little bit too knee-jerk to ference but he's got to say all that as opposed to just snorting at a reporter which is sort of what we got and i i it was it was disrespectful to labus whether or not ference <laughs> said so afterwards uh, no disrespect to joe yes it was i mean come on like come on but at the same time i get from the coach's perspective that if you've got a guy who's been practicing above him has so much more practice time with the ones and has a you know that that level of rapport and has the coaches trust right If you say in the press conferences, Deacon's our quarterback, Deacon's our guy, he's got more practice time with these ones and and had it even when Cade was hurt the first time and the second time, and now this is time number three already. At some point, you got to look at it and be like, well, he's got to get through these lumps one way or the other. And you might as well do it against Purdue and still win the game and, and move forward from that. Now, the question is, is he actually going to move forward from this? is this the stepping stone or is this just like bumping up against the, the ground and, and still not getting it? And Like, are all the games going to look like this? Because if so, that latest argument is not going to go away. If they don't all look like this, then it's going to look like Kirk being his typical patient uh for a reason self. And to some extent, he does have that benefit of the doubt. He also needs to understand that those questions aren't going to stop until he starts, you know, completing 60, you know, 55, 60% of his passes and starts putting them in more catchable range more than 40% of the time would be my guess. I, I don't think that half of his passes were catchable. So people are going to start or are, are, are going to keep wondering about latest and I think the frustration is Labus is an unknown is for the most part, an unknown quantity to fans. And so they, all they see is Hill struggling and the coaches have weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of practice to also work off of. So let's say you and I Elliot, and this is going to be very reductive. So I (laughs) bear with me on this analogy here. But let's say you and I have the thing, have this game where I have a six-sided dice, and you have a six-sided dice. And yours has three blue spots or blue spots on three of the things, red spots on three of the things. I've got two blue spots and four red spots. Okay. And if we roll a blue, we get a hundred bucks. And if we roll a red, we have to pay a hundred bucks. Okay. So very basic, like success, fail. Your your success rate is probably going to be 50%. My success rate is probably going to be 30%. It's just sort of built in. But if you roll your dice, or your die, five times, and they keep coming up red, someone's probably going to say, use atoms, see what happens when you roll atoms. And you're going to be like, no, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. we know yeah. <laughs> like, that's not a better option than this but when all somebody else sees is you rolling red five times in a row they're going to think that something's wrong with your die and they're not going to know that mine is worse or now again this is overly reductive and we're, what we're really probably talking about is like 2.5 reds on your, or like blues on yours and 2.3. Like probability makes this a mess in a hurry. I get that. But the overall success rate is something that these guys look at in practice feverishly, like obsessively. And they have come to the conclusion that Deacon Hill is more set up to succeed than Lavis You don't need to be... Pardon my language here. I hope we don't get demonetized. You don't need to be a dick to a reporter about it, though. And that is the sort of thing that fans start to take personally, even when they don't, you know, like he wasn't talking to the fans. But John was asking that question because of the fans, for the fans. And that was a, a, a display of, um, well, it's it's Kirk, right? It's not the first time that he's been dismissive or condescending towards suggestions about how to run his offense it's not the first time he's done it to john this year no less yeah yeah so uh you know kudos to john but it's you know that's 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 kirk and and fans are not gonna like it and i imagine it it wouldn't surprise me if he says a little sort of something on tuesday about like i really didn't mean to disrespect joe wouldn't surprise me
0: there's answering honestly and being a dick <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to quote you, Adam. Um, and the way he's like, he's been around the block. He knows how to answer that question properly sure. and say, you know, no, uh, we were, we're confident with Deacon. He struggled a little bit, but we want to get him those stamps and get him more comfortable. Um, we believe in Joe, but we're, we're not there yet. You know, we're, we're, we're going to go with the route of Deacon to this point. And, Apparently he was so taken off guard that that did not come to mind.
1: So well, uh, I uh, I don't think he was taken off guard. I he think sounded he was, like it. Well, uh, he? He, he sounded dismissive, like he was trying to discourage people from asking questions like that. Okay. Would be my read of it. Okay, because uh, it was it 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 felt like a little bit of like mock incredulity more than especially because uh, steppy hadn't said Lavis at that point so he was like did you think about going to Joe and and but I think that it was a it was a pointed effort to be rude to sort of send the message to the rest of the room that this isn't going to be something that I want to talk about which I don't think is the right approach to take. I, I really don't. I, I thought that was an unforced error, but this it's not the first of Ference's career by a long shot, not the last. And I think we're thinking about it more than he is at this point.
0: Yes. And you can read the entire article from Adam on Deacon Hills play with that quote on Joe Labus on Iowa And that is going to wrap it up for us here on this episode of Hotcast. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode and you can always check out our work on iowa.rivals.com become a premium subscriber today to get all the inside information especially on recruiting basketball and football wise and as well as the team for basketball and football don't sub- don't forget to subscribe leave that rate and review on apple podcast spotify and of course you can subscribe and leave that thumbs up drop a comment on your thoughts on that purdue game and going into this week against wisconsin on our youtube channel we appreciate that Makes us very happy. So for now, we will see you next time.